Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Every town has a dark side. Premonitions are defined as the strong feeling that something is about to happen. More often than not, the thing that's going to occur is unpleasant. Premonitions are more involved and detailed than that gut feeling many of us experience. Like that voice in your head telling you not to walk down a certain street at night. We're feeling like someone is sketchy without even having an interaction with them. You're not sure why, but you just know to stay away from them. Premonitions run along these lines, however, they often come in the form of vivid dreams to make sure they're heard loud and clear, repeat night in and night out. The person experiencing them sees themselves or someone else in a dire situation until it actually becomes a reality. And that's exactly what happened in the strange case of Cindy Anderson. Hey everyone, 
I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Every Town, where today we have a very strange case to dive into. Back in 1980, Cynthia Anderson from Toledo, Ohio, started experiencing some intense nightmares that frightened her so much, they affected the way she went about her day-to-day business in her waking life. She confided in her mom and sister and her co-workers as a string of strange events unfolded over the course of months. But in the end, no one could save her, and Cindy disappeared forever. Today, no one knows where she is or what exactly happened to her. So let's head over to Ohio now and hear about the very mysterious case surrounding Cindy Anderson. Some people think that humans are much more capable of doing some amazing things than we give ourselves credit for. Of course, there's tangible examples of this that we can all witness. The fastest runners or marathoners breaking records, for example. Just the other day, Kelvin Kiptum ran the Chicago Marathon in the fastest time ever. Two hours and 35 seconds to run 26.2 miles which makes for an average mile of 4 minutes and 37 seconds, which is absolutely insane. But besides these tangible physical feats, there are others that aren't so easily measured. Psychic abilities, for one, seem impossible, yet many people say they can connect with spirits of the deceased, or how Nostradamus could see into the future. I'm sure he got things wrong, but he also got a lot of things correct. Which brings us to the concept of premonitions. As strange as it may sound to be able to see an event that is going to happen in the future, there are countless proven examples of this occurring. Mary Evans dreamt of her deceased mother saying to her, I'm coming for you. She told her husband this in the morning, and then that afternoon, she was killed in a tornado. In 2017, Christine Delcros begged her fiancé not to take her for a walk along the London Bridge. She saw it and was terrified that a horrible attack was going to happen. He eventually got her to go with him. And that's when a white van driven by terrorists crashed into the couple, killing her husband-to-be. For 20-year-old Cindy Anderson, her repeated premonition was always the same. A nightmare that left her with a feeling of utter dread. The feeling was so intense, she didn't look forward to laying her head down on the pillow at night. Because once she closed her eyes, she'd find herself at her desk, at work, plodding away at her secretarial duties. There's a knock at the front door, so she gets up to answer it. When she unlocks the door and opens it, a man she recognizes in real life is standing there, so 
she lets him in. His demeanor changes, and he starts to torment her and then chase her. Cindy runs for her life and is eventually caught and then killed. While we don't know for sure if this is what happened to her, the eerie similarities of what occurred in the days leading up to her disappearance and her nightmares will make you think that perhaps she somehow knew what her fate would actually be. Cindy's sister remembers her describing her nightmares, which she experienced for at least a year before she vanished. On a few occasions, she even saw her crying in her mom's arms in the morning and tried as she might to console her daughter, explaining it was just a bad dream and not real. Cindy yelled out in horror, He murdered me, Mom, as if she didn't understand just how serious it all was. And this was, of course, a bit of strange behavior because Cindy was, after all, a grown-up at this point. This wasn't a case of a child wanting to sleep with their parents because they were scared or anything like that. This was darker and more serious. While everyone took it as such, what could you really do? They were dreams. It was chilling to hear her describe what happened in them because Cindy never had issues with sleeping before and was generally a very quiet and obedient daughter. The Andersons as a whole were a tight-knit family and devout Christians. They were a part of the fundamentalist community there in Toledo and having been raised in such a way made these complaints about what she was dreaming about all that more out of the ordinary. But nightmares aside, Cindy's life was in a good place back in the early 80s, and it was a very exciting time for her. She was planning on going to Bible college together with her boyfriend soon, and she was saving a good amount of money by living at home while working as a legal secretary at a law firm down at a local strip mall. However, it was down at work where a lot of this all started. A series of unfortunate events that makes this case truly puzzling and intriguing, and it all culminated in Cindy's disappearance. Around 10 months before Cindy went missing, she went into work like she had hundreds of times before and sat down at her desk. Looking up and outside the window in front of her, She saw on the wall of the building next door, spray-painted in big letters, I Love You, Cindy, by GW. While some people may find this flattering, the religious, devoted to her boyfriend and shy Cindy, found this creepy. Cindy didn't know anyone with the initials GW, neither did her co-workers, so for all she knew, this was some sort of a stalker type of situation. She couldn't sit in her office chair without seeing those letters scrawled across the wall, so it was constantly on her mind, which was likely G.W.'s intention, whoever he was. For the next six months, that writing sat there. Clearly, it wasn't a top priority for the property owner to remove it, but eventually, they got out their soap and water and brushed the paint off. 
That would have been it. Just something that happened in the life story of Cindy. For a few weeks, her and her co-workers got to enjoy a nice clean view, and people had all but forgotten about GW. Until one day, when she came into work, and there on that very same wall, this time in even bigger writing, the message was back. I love you, Cindy, by GW. Cindy's nightmares already had her on edge a little. Then seeing this brought even more creepy feelings back into her world, which was hard on the young secretary. But then things got turned up a notch when the strange calls began. And Cindy had to answer the phones over at the law office as part of her job duties. And almost daily after that second spray paint job, a strange man would call just to harass her. What he said exactly has never been disclosed. Eventually, she got to the point where she'd hang up immediately once she realized who it was. But that still didn't stop them from calling. Some days he'd call once. On other occasions, it was multiple times. It wasn't enough to get police involved, but the calls mixed with the graffiti were enough to make everyone in the office uneasy enough to make sure that they'd always keep the doors locked. If someone needed to come in, they had to knock, and Cindy or another worker would let them in. As an added step in security, an emergency buzzer was installed at Cindy's desk which, when pressed, would alert nearby businesses in the event she had an emergency. On August 3rd of 1981, just one day before she disappeared, a client, Larry Mullins, came in to pay some legal bills. While he was filling out the paperwork by Cindy's desk, he watched as one of those phone calls came in. She answered it before immediately hanging it up, which grabbed his attention. And Cindy appeared visibly shaken, and then the phone rang again. She picked that up before quickly hanging up, at which point Larry asked her if everything was okay. She assured him everything was fine and explained that some weirdo had been calling the office a bunch, but the look in her eyes let him know that she was deeply disturbed. She looked so terrified, in fact, that Larry called the police once he got home and told them that someone scared the hell out of her and that they should check in on the young girl. However, they never got the chance to. The following day, Cindy arrived to work around 8.30 a.m. She was typically alone in the office for a few hours during the morning, which is why they had installed that security button for her. Witnesses in the area noted that she was around at 9.45 a.m., but that would be the last time she was ever seen again. By noon, the lawyers who worked at the office had arrived, but no Cindy. After a few minutes, when there was no sign of her anywhere, they then called out and searched around, but still, she was gone. 
I knew she had been in, as the lights were all on, and strangely the door was locked from the inside. They also noted that there was the smell of nail polish remover in the air, though none was found on her desk or in the office. If Cindy had to leave the office, she would always put the phones on hold. However, she didn't do that this time. She'd also leave a note saying where she went and when she'd be back, but there was no note. Perhaps there was an emergency of some sort and she forgot, but outside in the parking lot was her car, which was locked, so where was she? Because of all the strange calls happening, the lawyers feared something more sinister may have occurred, so they called up the police. There was nothing amiss in the office, so no signs of a struggle. Her purse and car keys were gone, presumably with her, but no real clue as to where she had gone. While waiting for the authorities to arrive, one of the lawyers noticed the book she had been reading, a dramatic romance novel that was on her desk and was flipped open to the most violent part of the book. In that section, it talked about a woman who was attacked and abducted at knife point, So, another in a long list of eerie occurrences in this case that made everyone involved uneasy. Police didn't have a lot to go on, but then about a month later in September, a call came into the station. It was from a woman who was whispering. She told authorities that Cynthia had been kidnapped, was alive, and being held in the basement of a white house. She didn't give the address, but explained that there were two houses owned by the same family that sat side by side. She then told them that the parents who lived there were out of town, and that their son was holding Cindy against her will. The authorities tried to get more information from the woman, but she wanted to remain anonymous and was scared for her own safety, so she just hung up. She called again, though, later on. When a detective tried to listen in on another line, she quickly hung up and never called back again. The police searched for the white houses side by side and tried to figure out what they could based on the little information she provided, but... Nothing ever came from that. Looking back at the graffiti, a janitor at the strip mall with the initials GW, who had keys and access to the law firm, was questioned about the graffiti, but he was cleared of any wrongdoing. As word got out around town about finding who this GW guy was, the man who actually wrote it ended up coming forward to admit he had painted it. But he claimed... It was for a different Cindy, not Anderson. He was looked into, and his story checked out, so he was cleared as well. And there was speculation from several people who thought that perhaps Cindy may have disappeared on her own accord. She may have had enough of the oppressive nature of her family's religious background and decided to start life anew. However, her family and boyfriend strongly deny this, 
Her sister explained, At the time of Cindy's disappearance, there were no circumstances in her life that any of us were aware of that would have caused her to have run away. She was looking forward to quitting her job in two weeks and going to a Bible college that she would attend with her boyfriend, and she was very excited about it. On top of that, she left her car behind. Her social security number has never popped up once since her disappearance, and she also had a good chunk of cash in the bank that has never been touched. And so, if she was trying to start life anew, she was doing it completely on her own. And nothing really came of the case after that, until November of 1995, when a federal grand jury handed down an indictment on nine individuals from Toledo and charged them with being involved in a drug distribution ring. And one of those indicted was Cindy's employer, Richard Neller. Neller was a lawyer and worked with the leader of the drug ring, Jose Rodriguez Jr., defending him on smaller charges in the past before getting involved with his drug-dealing business himself. While on trial for the drug distribution ring, a witness testified that Rodriguez confessed that he himself had killed Cindy. See, he allegedly wasn't happy with how Neller had represented him in another case, and he also believed that Cindy had overheard the pair talking about their illegal business while at the office. And so, in order to send a message to Neller to get his act together, Rodriguez killed Cindy. While police think this is most likely the case, none of this was ever substantiated, and so the case is officially unsolved. And perhaps on the day she went missing, just like in her nightmares, while she was alone at the office, she heard a knock at the door. When she answered it, she saw Rodriguez, whom she had seen in there before and invited him in. There was no struggle there because he invited her to coffee or something along those lines, at which point she grabbed her purse and left. What happened after that is anyone's guess, and likely none of us will ever know the truth. If there's one thing to take away from Cindy's story, it's that Sometimes in this world, there are things that happen that defy explanation and logic. You can fight them, or perhaps you can just go along with them. A premonition is a good example of that. Should you ever have one or a reoccurring dream that feels very real yourself, take note and don't ignore it. Because if you pay close enough attention, it could possibly save your life. So that's it for this week's episode of Every Town. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Go check out this episode in video form over on our YouTube channel called Scary Mysteries. And for more podcasts from us, check out the Scary Mysteries podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember to come back next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. Because you never know, maybe your town will be next. <laughs>